Wow, can you believe 2013 is already over? For me personally, it was a pretty tough year. So it makes me so excited for this year and what God has in store for me and for all of you ladies out there. On January 18th, Terry Furr, who was our speaker at our conference last year, is coming to speak to us personally about what God is doing. I want to invite all of you ladies from every campus to attend a Saturday, January 18th. And at that Saturday, we also start our signups for Bible studies for our spring session. This year for one of our Bible studies, we're going to have a couple's Bible study for men and for women. We'll have childcare, we'll have everything. So ladies, come, you're invited. I want you to be there. It's gonna be a wonderful time with Jesus and there's so, mo so much momentum going on in our ladies' ministry. So invite your friends and join me for a great time with Jesus. this man so much I cannot tell you so I had a, a quick thing I wanted to say he's told you guys for like two years maybe five that he's 50 well guess what today is his real 50th birthday so now he's really 50 so now he can say it uh, but all of us as his family just wanted to wish him happy birthday and the kids wanted to say something personally to him we all wrote you a letter so it says 
Dear Dad, you have played such a huge role in each one of our lives. We wanted to take a minute to tell you exactly how much you mean to us. We all got together and answered three questions about you in our own words. We began with, what is your favorite thing about Dad? All of us had similar answers when it came to this question. We all answered how selfless you are and how you are willing to put others first. One answer went like this. My favorite thing about you is your desire to care for other people with everything you have. You've given your life to share Jesus with as many people as you can reach. But in your day-to-day -day interactions, you have a way of focusing on whomever you're talking to that expresses your pure desire to care and value other people. Someone else said, my favorite thing about you is your willingness to do the right thing no matter how hard it is and how you are a self-made man and did the impossible. And the next answer sums it up pretty well. A great heart for the Lord and a great sense of humor. The second question proposed was if you could answer, if you could say anything to dad, what would it be? I'm sure we could fill pages upon pages of things that we would want to tell our dad about what a wonderful husband you are or how you were the coolest dad. In the most simple way, we just really love our dad. One answer was, I would tell you that this is not it, that 50 is just the beginning to what God is doing in and through you. You have lived a life of honor and integrity. Look around. God has given you so much. Life is such a precious gift, and I am the one of the most grateful people that God has allowed me to be part of your life. You are loved more than you'll ever know. Another child answered that you're still my superhero. I know I'm an adult, and I'm not supposed to see my parents, and I'm supposed to see my parents as people, but my dad is still perfect in my eyes. You're still the guy that rescues people. You're still the guy that chases the darkness away, and you're still the guy that gives hope to all around you. And the last question we were asked went like this. What most inspires you about dad? As we read this in a room full of people, I am sure each one of us could say how John Leach has inspired our lives. He is a man full of inspiration. Whether it comes from watching him on a projector screen or being raised by the man, he gives us a standard to look up to. Someone in the group answered, I am most inspired by your heart to bless people. I have yet to meet someone with as big of a heart as you to bless others. You do this with your words, with your actions, with your time, with your money. I've learned so much about blessing from you, and I still have much more to learn. Another answer was, everything that you do inspires me. How you go about your day, your week, your year. You do it with such poise and always involve the Lord. You are a great modern-day King David. Dad, we love you so much. It is easy for us to write good things about you because you are such a good man. Thank you for loving each one of us. Thank you for being a good friend, a good boss, and a great dad. Happy birthday to the best person we know. Love your children. Thank you, guys. And now, um, Pastor Dan has something special to say as well. I'm standing in the back right before the service starts. Pastor John goes, you're not getting up and doing anything, are you? Mm -mm. I figure if your wife does it, I have no say, man. That's... Pastor, on behalf of all of the campuses, in just a second, I'm going to have the campus pastors come up, and, and we put together a little something um, for you from all of the campuses. But uh, Proverbs 11:25, and Kate mentioned it, but I thought this was just so apropos. Proverbs 11:25: a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others 
we'll be refreshed. Pastor, you refresh us. And I am believing that this year, your year of jubilee, is going to be a year of incredible refreshing over you. And so if the campus pastors would come up, we just uh, gathered cards on behalf of all of the campuses. We had a basket, and people just brought all kinds of different things for you. So let's just load him up, and we're going to make you preach with them in your hand. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. Thanks, TJ. I love you, bro. Thank you, dude. Thank you so much. Thanks, I love you, John. I love you, too. So... Happy birthday, Pastor. We love you. Good luck preaching. Yeah, exactly. Here, you. <laughs> Thank you. It was, um, uh, it, yeah, it's, it's difficult to uh, kind of keep your mind on the track there after things like that, but the easiest thing to say is thank you for the love. Uh, Chris and I went through the cards three hours to read all the cards uh, last night, and um, some of the nicest things in the world were. I I went to bed with a, um, uh, a reading card hangover, if that makes any <laughs> sense. Now some of you just thought I said he was drunk. No, it was cards. I was so the things that were said were so kind. Thank you so so very much. I appreciate that. Uh, if you have your notes and we'll uh, grab those, we'll jump into this. I've got two quick things that. I want to do before uh, I, I teach. Uh, the first one is an invitation. Um, our prayer pastor is Kim DeMay, and Kim over the past several months has really felt uh, the Holy Spirit lead her to uh, organize for 2014 sort of a campus-wide prayer initiative uh, combining worship. So on the second Wednesday of every month at this campus, we're going to bring all of our campuses together, 7 o'clock, and it's just going to be a time of worship and a time of uh, corporate prayer. Now, I know for some of you, that's in your wheelhouse, and you're like, can't wait, uh, I'm there. For some of you, maybe you don't feel like you've got a gifting that way, or uh, maybe you're just like, that doesn't even sound interesting, or I don't know how to pray. Do this for me. First of all, everything that we do is not designed to put a spotlight on you or to embarrass you or to cause you grief like that. It's an opportunity for you to experience God in a new way, uh, to be hungry for Him, to pursue Him, uh, to, to see things happen in your life. We're going to talk in the message today a little bit about the idea of, of um, we're setting New Year's resolutions. What about if we did that spiritually? What would our lives look like? And so this is an opportunity maybe to put in to, uh, to, to a walk the things of God in your life. And I'll come back at the end of the message and talk about that. The other thing is this. For the past, I don't know, five or six years, uh, I have done this with the first message of the year. Uh, I'm not into numerology. Okay, this is important. There's a distinction here. I'm not into numerology, which is using numbers to forecast the future. But the Bible is clear that certain numbers have a spiritual significance about them. So one of those numbers that is a spiritually significant number is the number seven. Seven means perfection. It means completeness in the scripture. 14, this is 2014. <clears throat> in the study uh, aids that I have, I went and studied about the number 14 scripturally. Biblically, what does it mean? And I, I, I'll, I'll read it to you because I thought it was really interesting. The number 14 represents a double measure of spiritual perfection. So a seven represents God's perfect number, perfection. 
14 is a double measure of spiritual perfection. All right, translated, what does it mean? It, the Bible used the idea of Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. You remember from the Old Testament, Jacob, one of our patriarchs, fell in love with Rachel. And he went to her father and made a bargain with the father. I will work for you for seven years if you'll let me marry your daughter. So he works hard for seven years. And on the night of his wedding, uh, his father-in-law pulled a fast one on him. Rachel had a sister named Leah. The Bible says she was not very attractive. And they put veils on her. And when Jacob got married, he married Leah. And on his wedding night, as he went to consummate the wedding, uh, the veils came off and he recognized, this is not the one that I bargained for. So he went back to his father-in-law, said, hey, what have you done? We had an agreement. We had a deal. And his father-in-law said, well, she's the oldest and deserved to get married first, but I'll make another deal with you. If you work another seven years, I'll give you Rachel too. So he worked 14 years to get his prize, 14 years to get the thing that he wanted. The Bible used that analogy as the idea that at the 14 years, God gave him his heart's desire. God produced for him the thing that was the greatest blessing he wanted. And so the analogy of 14 being the year of double blessing or double completion of God doing things in our lives. So here's my question to you. How many of you would love for 2014 to be a year of God doing double blessing in your life? So you don't raise your hand, you don't get it. Okay? You're not allowed. Yeah. So here's, here's what I thought. What if, we, what if we began our year by just spiritually proclaiming over us, over our families, our children, our grandchildren, our loved ones, that word. That is a year of God's completion, a year of God's blessing, a year of God perfecting in our lives the things that he wants for us. Sound good? So do this for me. Old Testament, whenever the priest would pray over his people, he'd raise his right hand. It was the hand of blessing. And the people who wanted in on the prayer would raise their right hand. It just signified connection to it. If you want in on this blessing, raise your hand right now. So, Father, in the name that you give us under heaven, whereby everything is possible, that name is Jesus, I proclaim this year as your year of double perfection, double completeness of your final say over the things in our life. God, I ask over the marriages represented in this room, the families represented in this room, Lord, all of the loved ones that are being uh, thought of and asked for right now, I ask in Jesus' name that you would do your work like only you could do. Bless your people. Pour out your blessing this year. Father, we make ourselves available to you. We're not just treating you like Santa Claus or like some cosmic slot machine in the sky that pays off. You are our Father. You are a blesser. And it is your desire and delight to bless your children. God, I ask in Jesus' name, let the things that were undone in 2013 be done at this point. Let the things, Father God, that have been unfinished and have been prayed over so long, you bring conclusion and perfection to the areas of our life. You are a good God, a great Father. Bless your people, and I declare that and proclaim that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you grab your notes, here's what we're doing. We titled the series, For Christ's Sake. For Christ's sake. Now, I've got friends who have already begun to give me a hard time. One of them said to me, is your next series going to be called, Oh My God? No, that's not. Listen, I don't mean this. 
Yes, exactly. What kind of friends are those? They're some of the best ones because they don't let me take myself too seriously at all. Here, here's the thought. I don't mean it irreverently. I mean it in the, in the strictest terms of the idea. Everything we do should be for Christ's sake. Do you agree about that? The way we live, if you're a believer and you love God, then the idea of considering this is done for the sake of Christ, the way I'm married, the way I raise my kids, the way I spend money, the way that I work, what I do with my life should be done for the sake of Christ. Now, now scripturally, is it true? Absolutely. Let me show you something. This is uh, from the book of Philippians. Paul's writing to a, a, a church in Philippi. It's Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 11, and it reads this way. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the what? Let's try that one more time. I now consider it loss for the, for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose what? sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. This sentence, does this declare what's in your heart? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him even in death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Clearly in Scripture, Paul is writing everything he does. And let me just comment, Paul had it together when he was in the world. He was a lawyer. He was a teacher. He was a scholar. He was considered to be the guy that was leading Israel, the heir apparent to what was going to happen spiritually. And when he had the experience with Christ on the road to Damascus, and Jesus literally knocked him off a horse and told him, you're persecuting me. Paul's experience with Christ at that point radically changed his life. He left behind everything he had going for him and began to pursue Christ. So when he says, everything I did before is now dead to me, he's not just talking about theologically, this is true, or I read this in somebody's book. It's the way he's living his life. He's given all for the sake of Christ. If nothing else, this man is passionate. Let me throw this out to you. When I was reading through all the cards last night, it's funny that through all the campuses, five campuses, and, and, and five different opportunities to hear people, uh, uh, what they think and, and, and what they say. Here, here's the thing. There were three things that over and over again people said uh, that they could see it in my personality. One thing stood out above everything else that was said. You are passionate for Christ. Can you agree with that? Yes. So I may be a lot of things that you don't like, but I hope you like the fact that I'm passionate for him. So, hey, at 50, here, here's an interesting little, little tidbit. I, this is my 28th year in the ministry. When I started, I had people, I had a pastor who told me, after you do this for a while, you won't be quite as excited about it as you are right now. He's dead, and I'm excited. <laughs> I am still excited about it. It is everything to me. It is not an act. This is not something I do when I get up in front of you. It is the way I live my life. It is what I believe, and I do it for the sake of Christ. So that when I teach, look, I want you to get it in your head, but I want to connect it to your heart, because if I can get these two things together, there's power. You get that? There's power. All right, so where would I go with this message for Christ's sake? Uh, this is the time of year, 1st of January. So many people are doing New Year's resolutions. 
So many people are, are looking at their lives, taking inventory, taking stock, uh, making decisions about where they want to be. All good things. Nothing wrong with that. One of my kids, uh, he, 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 one of our twins, plays football at Butler uh, uh, University. And he's home right now. And man, when you, when you play uh, that level of college sports, they, you work out. That's just, that's what you do. So he's home on break right now. And every day he's working out, he's running, he's lifting weights. And he came to me and he said, dad, do you even try to get in shape anymore? <laughs> and I told him, you want my answer? I said, I've worked very hard to get in the shape that I'm in right here. <laughs> and I enjoy this shape. What's wrong with this shape right here? Of course, I'm joking and playing with him. Uh, hey, I, I read this. Uh, top four New Year's resolutions. I bet you know, what's number one? Lose weight. Number two? Here's what it sounds like. <laughs> well, number two? Work out. Yeah, get in shape. Work out. Number three? Quit smoking. Number four? Finances. And it seems that it stays the same in that top 10. You may move them around, but typically across a wide section of people, they're all about the same. And here's the idea. We look at our lives. We look at where we are. We look at, at, at things that are not going the way that we want them to go or things that we think we can do better at, and we begin to make resolutions. Now, here's what I've learned. If you use just the flesh, how many times does that fail? Gosh, I, I bet you could go with 100% eventually. The flesh is destined to fail. But let's reverse this now and talk spiritually. What goals do you set for yourself spiritually? Every one of you are going to be someplace a year from now spiritually. Now, here's how life happens for most of us. We live it at a very high velocity, don't we? In fact, most of us don't chart a course. We respond to the wind that's blowing. We more or less try to survive what's happening, hopefully coming out ahead when we get through whatever we're going through. That's not the way that God wants you to live your life, especially spiritually. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control what you do with what happens to you. And here's what I know. Regardless of what happens to you, God can use anything, including what the enemy meant for evil, to do good in your life. So you can chart a course, and you can. Listen, this is not just talking right now. I'm not up here just giving you high-sounding words. Let me give you an example. 2013 was a terrible year for me. I went through more stuff in 2013 than ever in my life. Our ministry went through a time where financially, you know, if you go to church here, gosh, we had overcommitted to so many projects, both internationally and here inside of our church. We were stretched so thin. Found myself in a place where I was having to make internal cuts and moving on things. And then I had things physically that I began to deal with. And then I had things inside of my family that I began to, you ever have just one of those times where you're like, God, how many more things can go wrong? We're running out of options. And when you say that, you find more options. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Pretty soon you're just like, I wish this year would get over. Here's what I know. Back in the beginning of 2013, I began to pray a dangerous prayer. God, make me hungry for you. Sounds innocuous. Sounds, it sounds benign. It sounds spiritual. I think if you're here today and you love God, if I said to you, hey, pray for God to make you hungry for spiritual things, who's going to argue with you? Probably, yes, it's good, but let me just warn you, God intends on answering that prayer. So that if you pray it, 
get ready. Because here's what I think we think it means. God, make me hungry for you. I think we think that the Holy Spirit gently, during one of our response time, maybe when you take communion or you go to the cross or you're worshiping in your chair or maybe you come to the altar, I don't know. Maybe we're thinking that when I respond, the Holy Spirit will just reach down and he'll just anoint my heart and I'll be so passionate for God. That's not how it works. Here's how it works. The things that are in the way of you being passionate for God, God will begin to move out of the way. In fact, here's a scripture that God gave to me. What can be shaken will be shaken so that what remains can't be shaken. Gosh, on the other side of that, it's awesome. But while you're shaken, you're like, this isn't what I was praying. Some of you are like, so then if you don't pray it, How many of you think that God's not limited by that little <laughs> clause in the deal? <laughs> I had a word. I, I, don't know, um, I, I don't know how much value or even belief that some of you may place on prophetic words. Maybe you were taught that, uh, maybe you were raised with this idea that Certainly, it's in the Bible. You can see it in the book of Acts. You can see it at different places. Corinthians, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul gives the gifts that are available to the church. And maybe you were raised this way, that at the death of the last apostle, it ended those gifts, that they're no longer necessary, that God used those things to get the church started, but they're not necessary for today. Well, I, I would just argue this way. One, that the finish of the church is as important as the beginning of the church, Okay. Two, if they needed the Holy Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit. And three, ultimately, th this would be the greatest thing, that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change, and he gives good gifts. And if you're not aware, the Holy Spirit is radically moving today. He is speaking. He is drawing. He is doing more in the world today than ever before because there's more people today than ever before. I had a prophetic word that was given to me. Now, look, I don't think that everything everybody walks up and says to me is prophetic. Some of it is pizza, but some of it's prophetic. <laughs> I had a person that I trust, a person that I know, a person that gave me a word, and it was not a word that I was excited about. Here's a paraphrase of it. I saw a vision, and in the vision, your right hand was severed, and it was painful. And you had to adjust and learn how to use your left. Here's what God did, though, by learning to use your left. There were avenues of unforeseen blessing that you had never known were out there. And God is going to give you not only this opportunity, but you've already built with your right hand so that when he's done, you'll have both things. Shortly after that, some of the things I began to describe to you began to happen, the financial things, some of the personal things, some of the family things. It was as though my right hand had been severed. Let me give you an indication. 15 years ago, we come down here to start this church. I was an associate pastor at a great church in northern Colorado. I loved my job. I loved my pastor. I loved what I was doing. I had no plans to start a church. And literally, God spoke to me and told me to come here and do this. We left faithfully without anything or anyone making it possible. We just trusted God. I packed up my family. We sold what it took to get us down here. We literally got on a boat, went one way, and then burned the boat when we got here so there were no options out. God, if you really spoke to us, if you really called us to do it, you've got to do this. And at that time, it was week to week. I could see the street every week. That's how close it was. 
I remember literally every weekend I wondered, will we be here the next weekend? And then it began to grow, and God honored his word, and it multiplied, and we'd see it happen over and over again. So it's multiple campuses and thousands of people and, and millions of dollars now. And here's what happened. All the blessing of God. Do you agree? Those were all the blessing of God. But I began to rely on those. Almost they were a protection from the street so that my trust was in the things that we had built and my desperation for him. The more this grew, my desperation almost went just like that. The bigger this got, the more that went down. Almost because I didn't need. Do you, you get what I'm saying? It, it's not that the blessings of God were a curse, but they can get in the way. How about this? You can become more entranced with the gift than the giver of the gift. So I begin to pray this prayer. Make me hungry. And I think that God loved the fact that I was praying that prayer and had full intentions on honoring it. What did he do? He began to shake the things that I was trusting in so that I would have to become desperate for him again. Now, was it fun? No. I'd love to tell you every morning I woke up and just said, oh, I praise the Lord for this today. Bring it on. No, that, I would just go, there were times I'd wonder, have I sinned? God, are you mad at me? Are you disappointed in me? Am I supposed to even be the pastor here? The devil is wonderful at hitting you when things are going wrong, isn't he? Oh, the condemnation that I felt. And the Lord just remained steady with me. I love you. I'm for you. Hey, hang in there. The shaking will come to an end. Here's what I can say now on the other side of it. 2014, I'm in the best spiritual place I've been in, I bet, in 10 or 15 years. I am so passionately in love with Jesus, and look what he's done. I've got both of those things now. I've got the ability to say, wow, we're going forward, and God is blessing, and I've got so much hope for the future, but my hope and trust is not in this. It's completely in him. Two nights ago, 4.30 in the morning, the Holy Spirit wakes me up. Do you mind if I just talk? I'm not teaching from my notes right. Is it okay? Yes. Do you mind? It's not going to change if you don't, but I just... <laughs> just trying to get you on my side. 4.30 in the morning, I wake up. Dead sleep. Just wait. I'm wide awake. And I felt like the Lord said to me, uh, come with me. I just want to talk to you. Now, normally, a year ago, here's what I would have done. I rebuke you, Satan. Don't... <laughs> Don't you steal my sleep. I know, I'm the only heathen in the room. I, I, I knew it was the Holy Spirit. I got up, went downstairs, it's cold. I just grabbed a blanket, I wrapped it around myself, and I sat down. And I just began to think of what this last year was like. And the Lord, the Lord began to just tell me how pleased he was with me. That I stayed the course that I didn't quit, that I didn't give up, that I didn't go back, that I didn't abandon, that I led well, that I held on, that I kept the faith. Now, I want to ask you a question right now. Some of you are like, well, you're a pastor. You're supposed to be a spiritual person. Of course, those things happen for you. Do you really think that God just does that for pastors? Or do you think that he wants to speak to you the exact same way? Do you think he wants to pull you aside and tell you how much he loves you? So, look, tell me about your God for a minute. Is he stern and austere and distant and far away? He runs the universe but has no time for you? Or is he a father who cares, loves, 
and knows. So men, you're sitting in this room and maybe you don't identify with that for whatever reason. Maybe it's just the... But God is a God who very much wants to pull you aside and tell you how much he loves you too and that you matter to him. Sometimes we think of God as always correcting and always pruning and always dealing with us over stuff. You know, like any good father, that's part of it, but any good father also, 10 to 1, is telling you how much you're loved and how much you mean and how much you matter. And I wonder as I say these words, how many of you, you, can, you acquiesce to it. Yes, that's right, I agree. Are you hearing him say that? Gosh, it's quiet. That's what this is. I don't want to teach you theology right now. I don't want to read a book to you. I want to connect you to the God who so desperately loves you. To the one who's given all so he can know you. You can know him. Not Santa Claus. Not a slot machine. The God of the universe who created you. Taking the idea of a New Year's resolution. I wrote in my notes this way. You could consider it a spiritual New Year's resolution. Maybe a better way to look at it would just simply be this. These are three prayers God wants you to pray for this coming year. Three prayers God wants you to pray for this coming year. First one is just simply this. Make me hungry. Make me hungry. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus is teaching, probably in my mind, the greatest message that he taught on the earth was the Sermon on the Mount. You remember it begins with Jesus saying, blessed are, and then he goes down the list of who's blessed. Now in Hebrew, the word blessed means this, happy, fortunate, and to be envied. So a person who is blessed is happy, fortunate, and to be envied. So if we substitute those words for blessed, and that's the literal translation of blessed in the Hebrew, it would read like this in verse, chapter 5, verse 6. Happy, fortunate, and to be envied are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they'll be filled or they'll be satisfied or he'll meet their need. Happy, fortunate, and blessed are those who hunger after God because God himself will be their sustenance. God himself will satisfy their longing. God himself wants to be the thing that you long for. Now here's a question for you. If I just rhetorically ask, it's rhetorical, don't respond. How hungry are you for God? I wonder where you fall in that 1 to 10 scale. So if you sit here today and you're like, Man, 10's high and 1's low. I'm at a 1 or 2. I could care less. You know, in some way, that's actually a better thing than being in the middle. Because here's what Jesus says. You're neither hot or cold, but lukewarm. And I detest that. How many people are just spiritually coasting? You don't give up, but you've given in and you're existing. 
You're not pursuing. You're not after. You're not passionate. You go through the motions of it because you want to go to heaven. Because you know the blessings that God has. Because you want to do the right thing. You're a moral person, a good person. And I'm not talking heaven, hell. I'm talking life here now. The devil wins if you give up, but he also wins if you give in. Is there any other alternative? Give it over to God and ask him to make you hungry. You can't make yourself hungry for God. It's a spiritual activity. But you can do things that allow God to make you hungry. One of those things, pray that prayer. Make me hungry. Look, how about this in the natural? Some of you, you put on your list this year, I want to lose weight. What is a guaranteed way to make yourself hungry? Don't eat. It works in the spirit too. It's called fasting. I just heard a chuckle over here. Here's, let me throw this out to you. Fasting is not an Old Testament thought. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, right after the Sermon on the Mount, teaches this. When you fast. Not if you fast, when you fast. Like, if you're one of my disciples, you're going to fast. And we never think in terms of like fasting in our eye. I, I, some of us, we miss a meal and we see little floaters in front of us. We're like, I'm, gonna pa- I'm starving to death. <laughs> Got a thought for you. So I, I, I'll, I'll get to it and I'll, I'll close with it. I'm going to fast Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Every January, I start the year off with a fast. I try to lead our church in it. Sometimes we've been very organized. Sometimes we're going to do it like this. We're just whatever the Holy Spirit says to you. But what if Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we fasted something? For me, I'm going to fast food. My son last night, one of my twins walked up to me. He, he wears earphones like all the time. I think they've become permanently embedded in his ears. He says, Dad, I'm going to fast music. You may say, come on. It's what the Holy Spirit told him to do. You can fast anything. Television. Somebody just died in the back. (laughs) You can fast. Here's the point. Deny yourself this so that you give God that. Does that make sense? So if you sit here and you're just like, I'm not moved by this, don't be okay with that. Do something about it. While you can't make yourself spiritually hungry, you can do things that allow God to make you spiritually hungry. Okay, listen to this. God wants you to be passionate for him, and God will get you there, but the amount of time it takes is what's in the balance. So you can go around the mountain for 40 years. That's a long time to learn anything. Or you could cooperate and just go, God, I want to do this, and I'm diving in this week. Anybody? Let me hit two. One is make yourself hungry. Number two, give me eyes to see. Eyes to see. Do you ever, uh, if you read the Bible, now if you say you're visiting this morning and maybe you're not even a believer, you're just hanging out here, thanks for being here, and I hope, open your ears to this. But this is for this is for folks who, who are believers, folks that, that man, they've, they've given their life to Christ. They get it. Let me, let me say this. You ever read your Bible? Sometimes when Jesus would end a teaching, he would say, 
things like this. For those who have ears to hear. You ever read that? A couple of times he said this. For those with eyes to see. What in the world does he mean? Of course they have ears. He's talking to them. They have eyes. He's looking right at them. So what in the world is he trying to communicate to these people? Well, there's an there's a interesting scripture. Uh, after the resurrection, but before Christ ascended into heaven, it's a 40-day time period. And during that 40 days, Jesus appeared to hundreds of different people. It was one of the refutations of the fact that he actually uh, wasn't dead. He had come back to life. One of the times he appears to the disciples, he's eating with them. And the Bible says they don't recognize him. Now, I don't understand that because they just spent three years with him day and night. And he returns and they're now eating together and they don't recognize him. Now, look, theologically, maybe he looked different in a resurrected body. Although what I'm about to show you would say that he didn't look different. I think it was a spiritual issue. So we pick up that story. They've eaten with Christ. They don't recognize him. And then in Luke 24, 30, it reads this way. Then their eyes were, what does it say? Opened. And they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. So listen to this. They eat with him. And after they're done, spiritually, God opens their eyes and they recognize Jesus. Is it possible to be around the things of God and not see God? If it could happen to a disciple, you better believe it could happen to you, yes or no? What we're talking about right now is not a physical, but a spiritual principle, so that when I write, give me eyes to see, here's what you're praying. God, let me see what you see, not what the flesh sees. Let me see people the way you see people. Let me see my marriage the way you see my marriage. Let me see me the way you see me, my children the way you see them. Look, if you get it, people matter to God, so they should matter to you. So praying that prayer, uh, in the natural, let me give you a a great illustration of this. When I I worked at Resurrection Fellowship, I I, I said that earlier, that's the church, I I, I spent many years there. I was a youth pastor, I became an associate pastor, I love my pastor. He's still my pastor. My job on a weekend was to try to carry all the other stuff that would get in the way of him being able to teach. So like uh, the way the building looked, the temperature, the sound, uh, just the stuff. I tried to carry that stuff so he could do his job. So many things come in and try to distract the person who's speaking from being able to speak. Ben, you do that a lot right now. You know the, the, you just carry, you're worried about snow, signs, people slipping, all the things that, that suddenly come into the picture. And I was trying to carry all that stuff for him, but here was the deal. He would always see stuff that I didn't see. And it wasn't like a little piece of paper on the floor. It'd be like a 12-foot crack in the wall. <laughs> and he'd be like, John, uh, why isn't that taken care of? And I'm like, I didn't see it. <laughs> so then I started doing this. I'd get a notepad, and I would walk through the entire building before he came in, writing down everything that I saw. And he would still come in and see stuff right off the bat. Oh, it frustrated me. I wanted to carry that weight for him. I wanted to be a guy he could count on. I wanted to get it. So one day I prayed this prayer. God, give me his eyes. Let me see what he sees before he sees it. <laughs> Listen to this. And God did that for me. I began to spot things, see things I'd never seen. God opened my eye. I walked the same building, same hours, same place I had been at for years, 
All of a sudden, I start seeing things I hadn't seen before, and I would see it the way he would see it so that I could handle it before he had to say anything. What came out of that? Favor, promotion, and ability. So I'm giving you a key. You're not even hearing what I'm saying. right? God give you ears to hear what I'm saying to you right now. Some of you are doing this at your place, in your marriage. You walk up, what can I do? Just tell me what to do. Wrong question. Wrong question. Here's the right question. God, show me what to do, and then go do it. God, let me see what they need. How about with your children? Sometimes we're just, what can I do? We don't. You ever been that place with your kids? You don't know what to do. One man. I'm going to ask one more time. You ever been there with your kids, and you don't know what to do? Oh, the rest of you are just that... Why don't you come up and teach for me, folks? <laughs> I, unless, unless God builds the house, the builder labors in vain. Do you hear me? I, people walk up. They'll still do this to me. Just walk up. Pastor, I love this church. Uh, man, how can I help? What can I do? Uh, straighten that chair. Here's what you need to do. Ask God to show you what's not being done. Jump into it and watch how you'll be promoted. Yeah. You hear me? I don't know. If you're a business owner, tell me that wouldn't be the number one thing you would want from the people around you. Let me go to three because I'm going to run out of time. Teach me your ways. Three prayers we could pray for the new year. Three prayers that might spark hunger and desire in us. We're going to be someplace spiritually. Where do you want to be? Teach me your ways. Psalms 103 verse 7. David wrote this psalm, but he wrote it about Moses. This is the way that it reads. He made known, speaking of the Lord, he made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to to the people or the children of Israel. All right, what, what's being said there? Real quickly, Moses is the only person in all of Scripture where it says this, God would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. The rest of the children of Israel were afraid of God, so they would tell Moses, you go tell us what God says, and we'll stay way over here away from God. So Moses knew God's ways, and the children of Israel knew his deeds. I'm going to tell you that in 2014, it is still the same way. Most people, when they pray, pray for God to show his deeds. Give me stuff. Make this happen. Change this situation. Bless my bank account. Give me promotion. Help my children. We're praying for deeds, yes or no? And it's okay to pray for deeds. Let me just give you a secret. Maybe you never thought about this. If you pray for God to show you his ways, you're actually praying, God, I want you. If you get the gift giver, you get all the gifts. Let me try over here with the, the holy section. If you, if, you, if, you, if you get the gift giver, now you're not just getting a facet, you get everything that he has to offer. So what's a better prayer? Do this one thing or give me you? Give me you. Teach me your ways. All right. I am three minutes in deficit right now. Do you mind if I go, will you give me five more? Five more? So I'm looking at my watch. You know what that means? Nothing. <laughs> Actually, it does. I'm teasing. This is, it's not in your notes. Um, 
altogether. I just want to read something to you. This is Isaiah. This, um, this is what God gave to me this week. Uh, the significance of it is I didn't feel like it was just for me. I felt like it was for our church. It's the reason that we're doing the Wednesday night thing uh, this Wednesday. It's part of the reason also that I'm teaching the particular message that I'm teaching right here. This, this concerns um, a fast that touches the power of God. The kingdom of God is not talking, but it's power. So I want to read to you just a few scriptures here. This is Isaiah 58, beginning in verse 5. And Isaiah asks this question. Is this the kind of fast which I would choose? Just a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? What he's commenting on is that in the Old Testament, hey, this is the way it used to look and people would do this. But then God gets to the heart of the matter. And listen to these words right here. Will you call that kind of fast an acceptable day to the Lord? Here's the kind of fast that I choose. A fast that would loosen the bonds of wickedness. That will undo the hands, the bands of the yoke. And to let the oppressed go free. And break every yoke over your lives. The kind of fast that I choose, isn't it to divide your bread with the hungry? And to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Listen to this promise. Then your light will break out like the dawn. Your recovery will be speedily and it will spring forth and your righteousness will go up before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call on the Lord and he will answer. You will cry out loud and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of fingers and speaking of wickedness, if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desires of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness and your gloom will become like the midday sun. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desires in scorched places and give you strength in your bones. And you will be like a watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Listen to this. Those from among you will rebuild the ancient ruins. You will raise up the age-old foundations and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which the righteous are able to dwell. That's a fast. Now here's, here's what I, I have found. People in church that love God have become exceedingly good at criticizing what's going on in our country. Whatever gridlock, whatever it is, folks, God gives us an answer. Let us fast and pray and cry out to him so that we can restore, so that we can bring equity, so that there's our streets and bridges back where God can connect people and the things that he wants to do. In this scripture right here, let me, let me just say this, and I, I literally will close with this, asking you if you want this. I found six things, six promises in this scripture. Number one, physical healing. Number two, breakthrough spiritually. Number three, Miracles in our lives. Number four, our community, city, and nation being healed. Number five, spiritual freedom in our lives. And number six, eyes to see. Eyes to see. All right, so I teach this. I don't think you're sitting here going, I don't want, we're probably all like, yes! Yes, I want God to do, yes, I want that in my life. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. 
but of power. So what do you want to do with it? Amen me? Acquiesce to it? Or walk it out? So what would you do with this? What, what would you... What would you hear the Holy Spirit say right now? What would the future look like if it were up to you? What would your tomorrow look like? So you can't control what happens to you, but you can control what you do with what happens to you. And here's the Bible is telling us. Here's the kind of fast I'm calling for. Let's break chains. Let's redeem families. See marriages healed. Let's see physical healing happen. Eyes open, ears hearing, people hungry. Hey, I don't want to die and not have my city changed. There was one glaring truth. Anybody in this room, 50 plus knows it. You begin to recognize uh, I'm closer to the end than I am to the beginning. <laughs> Yes or no? I don't want to die without God doing something great in my generation. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? Am I the only one who says that? I don't want to die without God having done something great in my day. I don't want to read about what happened 100 years ago or 200 years ago or 1,000 years ago. In my generation, I want God to do something great. I'm not okay with just passing away and, hey, you tried your best. I want God to do something great in my generation. It's preceded by a hunger for God. Okay. Father, this is yours. And all that you want to do, I believe that you have ready, willing, and able people. I don't mean that in the flesh. God, none of us feel strong in the flesh to make any of this happen. The truth of the matter is, none of our flesh can make any of this happen. We can't will it into being. We can't pray it. Can't scream it, stomp it, force it. That's not the way to do this. It's an act of God that has to happen. But you use people. And in this room, God, I believe you've got people who so much want to see God do something great in their generation. They want to see you move. They want to see, they want to see the promises of God come to be. God, we don't want to read about those things. We want to live those things. We want to see those things happen in our life and in this generation. Father, we want to be hungry for you. We want to be thirsty for you because you make the promise. You yourself will satisfy us. So we pray the prayer, make me hungry. Open my eyes. Teach me your ways. Move in my heart. And God will do whatever you tell us to do. So folks, while you're heads are bowed and you're just praying. I just want you to think right now, what could Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this week look like for you? I know for some of you, you already got stuff. It's, hey, I can't do it this week. I get it. But those of you who can, what could it look like?
Doesn't have to be the whole time. Could be a day. Could be a meal. Could be television. Could be what? Could be whatever. What could you do to make the opportunity of being hungry for God relevant in your life? What could you do? What would the Holy Spirit say? And then how cool would this be? What if we did that and then we gathered together Wednesday night, right here, 7 o'clock, and we worship God over what he's doing. We sought the Lord. We called out to him. And if nothing else, we just banded together for those who want to lead that. We're there. We want God to do this. What could that look like for our church, for our community, for our lives? Hey, why not here and why not now? Why not here? Why not now? I don't think it's a matter of like, well, we're ready. We're waiting on God. Here's what I think. I think God's waiting on us. He's ready. The Bible says his eyes run to and fro on the entire earth to see whose hearts pursue him. May he find that in you. May it be more than just words that I'm speaking. May it be the very prayer of your heart. God, make me hungry. God, make me passionate. God, be my all and my all. Holy Spirit, speak. I pray it in Jesus' name. Go ahead and stand to your feet, if you will, and while we take the opportunity to respond, communion, the crosses, you want to use our altar, worship, however, before you take off and go back out to the rest of the world, take a few moments and allow this to gel in your heart. What would the Holy Spirit talk to you about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Tell the Lord yes right now. Whatever he says to you, tell him yes. Act on that thing. And if you want to, I'll meet you Wednesday night here at 7.